Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Really trying to make decisions for things that I can control, not out of a place of panic and fear, but really getting to a sober place of what are the recommendations? What can I do? This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Can't See Politics. We are so happy that you're here. We hope that you have marked your calendars for March 15th when there is another Democratic debate. It's going to be quite different than the debates that we've had so far. So let us all watch it together on Hot Mike. You can find information on how to find us on Hot Mike in the show notes. It's very easy once you get the hang of it. Just download an app. You enter an invite code that we'll provide. Follow Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers, and we'll show up on your phone to react in real time during the March 15th debate. It's going to be fun. We have a lot of news to cover, but we know everyone is feeling a lot of anxiety and fear surrounding the coronavirus. So we're going to spend some time on that on the main segment of the show. We're going to talk to a listener in the Seattle area about what it's like to be on the ground in a real hot spot of the outbreak. And we're just going to listen. We're here to help everybody deal with their big feelings, not just about Bernie and Biden, but the coronavirus as well. 
But we'll start with Bernie and Biden because there's more of that (laughs) happening today. Six states are voting as we speak and listen. Michigan has 125 delegates up for grab. It's the biggest state today. But Washington, Missouri, Mississippi, Idaho and North Dakota are also voting. Mm -hmm. Lots of think pieces out there about the importance of Michigan for Senator Sanders' campaign. Sarah, here's what I thought about this weekend watching these two campaigns. I think it's past time for Secret Service protection. We're down to two people We had this scary incident where someone actually had a swastika in a Senator Sanders rally. We had someone come on stage and Jill Biden get between the vice president and the protester at one of Biden's events. I just think it's time to protect these folks. Well, and I'm interested, especially with regards to Biden, that they're not paying for their own security at this point. Um, It seems like a real sort of blind spot. Everything's ratcheting up as these primaries continue and the field winnows. And it's going to be really interesting to watch the debate coming up with just two candidates on the stage. And I mean, I think particular with the Michigan primary today, which Bernie won in 2016, everybody's going to be looking at him. And I think they know they need to win this state. And it'll be really interesting to see what comes of it as everything, um, as the pressure and the intensity um, and even the security incidences ratchet up. I think, too, you see this with Bernie's just schedule. Like, he's canceling events. He's focusing on Michigan. Um, As we're recording today, he's having a roundtable about coronavirus, which is the first time this has sort of bubbled into the up in the primary, and they're really paying attention to it as as far as presidential politics are concerned. And I think everybody is feeling the increased intensity, for sure. I think coronavirus is going to need to bubble up a lot more. I would honestly, in addition to them having some security, really appreciate everybody canceling more events and just saying, Mm -hmm. let's let's do virtual events. Let's stay connected. But let's not try to bring a thousand people into a room to wave signs and cheer and hear from me. Well, especially when the candidates are from age groups that are highly at risk for this virus. Okay, I wrote a really great piece in The Atlantic over the weekend about the ages of Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden. Did you read this about cognition and about what the job of the president requires? Oh, no. Okay, it was really good. It made me feel better. So the writer talked about, and listen, everybody, I know almost nothing about neuroscience, so I'm just taking in what I read in this Atlantic piece and sharing it with you. My understanding, though, was that Cognitive decline doesn't speed up as we get older. It's pretty much a linear process from the Hmm. time that it starts. So it's not like their cognition, absent dementia or some other factor, is declining more rapidly than anybody else's. It's just that they've had more time for it to start declining. And so the writer said, you know, certainly a young staffer for any of these three people could solve a math problem faster than they can. But that sort of quick thinking decline is accompanied by a richness of ability to solve more complex problems and to make judgments that are more values laden. And so in two respects, having an older president could actually be a positive. One, you have an older president who who has that richness of experience in terms of more complex problem-solving ability. 
But two, being the president is a combination of those types of judgments, the the short term and the long term, right? And if you had an older president who recognized his own limitations, I was about to say his or her and then got really sad for a second. So just give me a minute. Um, If you had a president who could recognize his own limitations and build a really good team around him, then that perspective could be really healthy because it could mean more dispersed decision-making and more expertise and more growth in leadership potential. So it just made me feel better. Not great, but better. So does the stress of a presidential campaign or being president not accelerate that decline? Is that not an outside factor that can be a piece of the of any the presence of any accelerated decline? The piece did not go into that. I think it's clear to everyone that that accelerates physical decline because of the demands of the job, but it did not talk about that as being something that would accelerate cognitive decline. Well, I was also thinking about what a Biden presidency and what a Bernie presidency would look like, thanks to a really great conversation on Ezra Klein's podcast between him and Matt Iglesias. I like both of them a great deal. I was interested to hear both of them talk about what they thought a Biden presidency and a Bernie presidency would look like. Um, One thing I I learned that I thought was really interesting, and Matt Iglesias was talking about, you know, what you see in liberal parties, particularly in Europe, is very different than what you see in the United States Democratic Party. You don't see the revolving door between industry because of the values of the liberal progressives. Um, You see a lot more revolving between nonprofits and um, charity organizations. There's just this sort of um, understanding that we don't cycle back and forth between corporate interests because we're progressives. Um, And I've really never heard or thought about that before. And Matt Iglesias was arguing that that could be a very dramatic impact of a Bernie Sanders candidacy is that you would see an end to... Um, the way that these people serve in an administration, go lobby for industry, come back and serve in administration. Um, he also talked a great deal about hiring and staffing, which I thought you would find interesting um, because the biggest difference is the um, depth of connection because of his long ties to the Democratic Party and the Obama administration that Biden would bring. Um, you'd have a deep bench of people ready to leave private industry and come back to the administration. A lot of experience that we're not sure would be present with a Bernie Sanders presidency. It was just really fascinating to think about how they make deals. Um, if they do, you know, Bernie Sanders has a couple of um, things you can look to as when he really saw it was necessary. They talked a great deal about some legislation he passed with regards to the VA, but that, you know, Joe Biden really it's a part of his identity. He prides himself on um, making those deals, whether it's with Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg about dropping out or it's about the Violence Against Women Act or it's about climate change. And it, it was just it was fascinating to hear the breakdown about how um, these two men with a lot of experience in Washington, D.C. between them. Um, would bring their different experiences, their different personalities, their different approaches to politics um, to the White House. Did it shift anything in the way that you're looking at the race? Um, no. Uh, my concerns about Bernie Sanders, um, particularly when you look at his history in the Senate, remain. I just I think that Bernie has been so successful, as I've stated repeatedly, in moving the, the party to the left. I still think he might outpace 
um, the rest of the country as far as those issues still by another good five to 10 years. I was telling a cousin of mine who's moved to Texas and was talking about how everyone, he, all their friends are from California and how people are exiting California. And I said, you know, I think when you look at California, which is always sort of ahead of the rest of the country, that's why you see a Bernie Sanders presidency or a Bernie Sanders candidacy doing so well in that state. Because they're facing the manifestation of challenges the rest of the country is um, just beginning to wake up to. Heck, you can even say that's true of coronavirus right now. Um, so I don't think everybody's quite there with him yet, but I think that he's done important work pushing it forward. And it did make me feel a little better about a Biden presidency and thinking through like how, how this would really manifest itself. Just because more than anything, I'd like to see a functioning federal government again that's staffed well and... Um, functioning like it's supposed to, um, because I'm not as much as I put voice to a lot of burn it down um, emotions at certain t- at certain points in this podcast history. Um, I'm not looking to burn the whole thing down. So it was it was interesting to sort of listen to them talk about like how this would play out or how they, you know, again, everybody's just speculating how they thought how they think it would play out. I think that, you know, depending on how Michigan goes, this thing could wrap up in a in a small amount of time in the same way those three days from South Carolina to Super Tuesday um, felt so dramatic after looking at a giant field. I think we could spend um, a week or so talking about Bernie and Biden, and then all of a sudden that's wrapped up pretty quickly as well. That might be a good thing. It's not been a good week over the past week, I think, in the conversation among supporters of Bernie and Biden. Mm. And I worry about that going on and on and on. And it seems so small and petty when something like coronavirus is out there on everyone's minds to watch those conversations unfolding. So as much as I think I'm not going to complain about a long primary process because I think it's beneficial for us to air everything out and hear from everyone and the process really needs to be fair. I think this process has had a lot of flaws. I do not think it has been fundamentally unfair to Senator Sanders in any Mm-mm. meaningful respect. Um, and I don't like seeing people refer to folks like Congressman Clyburn in such degrading terms. And I don't like how dismissive people have been of the voters of South Carolina mm-hmm. for shifting the race in this direction. Um, I just think it is, you know, I I don't start in the place that Senator Sanders supporters start. My view is that the establishment is not a problem because of its existence. The establishment is a problem because over the past few years, it hasn't been very established. I want the establishment to get together and work. Um, That's why these endorsements have been encouraging to me, especially in the face of something like this virus. I look at the people who have lined up, including most recently Senators Harris and Booker, behind Joe Biden and think, yes, this is the team that I want running things. I want Mm -hmm. a bench of talent supporting whomever the next president is, because watching what a presidency looks like without a deep bench of talent behind it has told me everything I need to know. I don't want this again. Mm Not that I think Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are the same person. I don't. But th- those issues of sort of um, you're with me or against me, I don't like the result that that has produced in our government. And so 
I probably would have a few months ago said endorsements are meaningless. And now I find myself feeling very persuaded by these endorsements, not in thinking, oh, Joe Biden is suddenly the perfect candidate or the even the best candidate or even a person I'm really excited about being the president. But just in thinking, yes, this is what a party is here to do. And this is what I want an administration to look like. I don't have to be in love with our president. I don't have to be excited about our president. I certainly don't need a president who makes me want to go to a rally and cheer for him. I just want things to function effectively. I did have a sort of sad realization. I've been thinking a lot about how I pledged on this podcast that I was not going to vote for a baby boomer several months ago at the beginning of the Democratic primary. Um, And it turns out I'm going to keep that promise. I'll be voting for someone of the silent generation, a generation older than the baby boomers. Not exactly how I expected that pledge to play out, but I did have that realization over the weekend. Well, I hope that Derek Thompson of The Atlantic, (laughs) author of that piece I was talking about, Why Do Such Elderly People Run America, can make us all feel a little better about that piece of it, at least. Beth, who are you complimenting this week? I just want to compliment the women who marched all over the world on International Women's Day and specifically women who marched in places where marching is really dangerous. There were arrests in Kyrgyzstan. There was tear gas fired in Turkey. Court petitions were filed in Pakistan to stop women's rallies, and they marched nonetheless. In Mexico, protests were led by mothers of women and girls who've been murdered. More than 10 women are killed every single day in Mexico, which I did not know Mm. until I started reading about these protests. Often they are killed by male partners, and often the punishments are inadequate. I read a quote from Brazil about women saying, we are raped and murdered and kidnapped and no one does anything about it. There were thousands of women in the streets in Chile, and it just reminded me, I kind of struggled with International Women's Day this year here in the United States because it gets very corporate and we sell a lot of things around it. And sometimes I just wonder, are we doing more harm than good in some ways here? But when I think about it on a truly global scale and the issues that women still face in the world, how dangerous it is for women to raise their voices and the fact that they do it anyway. Uh, I am encouraged. I am blown away. I am reminded of the incredible privileges I have as a woman living in the United States here in 2020. And I also appreciated the reporting from Axios about this. Um, They cite a study from Harvard professor Erica Chenoweth in talking about how there's a direct correlation of success between women's participation and protest movements. Women involved keep protests more nonviolent. They take on a whole lot of roles during protests from organizing to caregiving and protecting. Um, And it just really matters that women participate politically in this way. So I'm grateful to everyone around the world who did at great personal cost. I wanted to compliment Senator Mark Warner, who sent letters to the CEOs of Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Grubhub, Instacart, and Postmates, urging them to set up health funds to compensate these workers in the gig economy who might have to cut back their hours in the face of the coronavirus. Um, Uber and Lyft have announced that they will compensate drivers for up to 14 days if they're diagnosed with COVID-19 or put under quarantine by health authorities. So that's a good move in the right direction. But I really appreciate his leadership. I think this is a really um, important impact that an outbreak could have that I like to see uh, senators paying attention to and um, calling corporate America to account to make sure that people aren't out there um, 
working when they're sick because they don't have any other option. Instead of blaming those people or yelling at those people, I think putting up some systems in place to really protect and help them is a much better approach. We're going to talk a lot more about COVID-19, the impact of it on the stock market, the economy, on workers and around the world right after these messages. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So as we talk about COVID-19, let's first tackle where we're at here in the United States and around the world. You've probably seen a lot of news about Italy that is currently the real center point of the outbreak in Europe. 
They have enforced strict travel restrictions, canceled events, and about 16 million people in northern Italy are under lockdown. Northern Italy is really the economic driver of the country. And so with the entire country and the European Union continent generally is expecting to see a lot of impact from this shutdown. Um, this is really the first democratic country that's dealing with this sort of shutdown, and everybody's watching Italy incredibly closely. South Korea is also dealing with coronavirus in addition to dealing with North Korea firing projectiles into waters between the Korean Peninsula and Japan. South Korea is home to about 28,000 United States troops. When coronavirus cases were confirmed in South Korea, North Korea sealed its borders and quarantined foreign individuals, but is telling everyone that there are no confirmed cases in North Korea, which is highly suspicious. Mm -hmm. And this is a good demonstration of how you can get national security threats very quickly around viruses because North Korea is thought to potentially be continuing to test fire these projectiles because they want to distract from the coronavirus mm -hmm. both around the world and in North Korea. North Korea's medical system is so antiquated that coronavirus is highly threatening in that country, and the government just doesn't want to deal with it. And so they're projecting this strength militarily. Uh, but it's a real problem for our friends in South Korea, for our troops in South Korea. And that situation could escalate rapidly if we aren't careful. You also see a lot of reporting coming out from Saudi Arabia that is enforcing some strict travel restrictions. Also, because of the restricted travel, less flights, less trains, less people driving, Saudi Arabia went to OPEC and said, hey, guys, let's restrict production. Russia usually joins with these recommendations. This time Russia said, no, thank you. And so Saudi Arabia has dramatically dropped the price of oil um, to push Russia to participate in this restrict production. And so what you're seeing is this really complicated mix of countries' responses, the economic impact, and then responses to the economic impact all tied up as COVID-19 makes its way across the globe. And here in the United States, the number of confirmed cases is on the rise. The administration has advised people not to take cruises, which is huge. Just the economic mm -hmm. impact of that one decision is enormous. I think it was the right decision, by the way. I do think Vice President Pence is trying in this situation, for which I feel he is unqualified um, to be managing it. But I think he's trying. He's trying to increase the number of tests that are available to people. Uh, the president is not making his job easier, but our government is working on a response. Congress has passed an $8.3 billion supplemental funding package for coronavirus. That is undoubtedly the beginning, not the end of the appropriations processes that will be necessary. We are almost certainly going to need more, and congressional Democrats are talking about the need for more paid sick leave, more emergency help to small businesses, deferment of taxes that are coming due, um, and especially help in the hospitality and travel industries. As you see things like South by Southwest canceled, so mm -hmm. many low-wage workers are going to be impacted. People who do not have a few extra months in the bank to get by um, are going to lose valuable opportunities to earn income because of this virus. And the government is going to have to step in and help. 
Well, and I think what you see with President Trump, um, I read a lot of really great analysis of this, both in The Atlantic and The New York Times. His usual tools for tackling crises, which are basically just attack the person on Twitter, don't work here because there's not a person to attack. And so, you know, trying to control the message in a public health crisis where you have experts being muzzled, where people don't know who to believe or who to trust. They're saying tests are available, but people in their communities are not having that experience. There are not tests available. We're going to hear from a listener about her experience in Seattle in just this way in just a few minutes. I think it just speaks to the idea that, you know, he has some profound skills when it comes to marketing and twisting the media and the narrative, but there is a limit to those. And sometimes we need a president who can just be a president, who hasn't gutted the government in ways where right now we need the government. We need experts that aren't being silenced. We don't need him you know, people from different places saying a much different things. You know, when you're trying to cover up your own actions, you know, flooding the media environment with lots of different messages um, has a certain effectiveness because people don't really know what to listen to. But in a situation like this where you need one person that people trust speaking with a unified voice where you're leaning on experts, I mean, that press conference at the CDC where he had a campaign hat on and was talking about how he's just a savant at virology was so disturbing, so just completely messed up. And, you know, as we traveled around this week and we were in Texas, where a lot of the president's supporters are located, and I heard those messages he's putting out there that are not true coming out of people's mouths. Oh, it's no worse than the flu. They're just trying to make us overreact. They're just trying to scare people. And hearing it parroted like that, seeing him behave like that in a press conference seeing the way that they are just not prepared to deal with this crisis, especially as it plays out across economic markets and indicators, and their their only response is drop the interest rate, drop the interest rate, drop the interest rate. It's disturbing. Well, I think what the market is saying, because markets are just about confidence, right? And I think the mm-hmm. market is saying, we don't feel confident in this administration's ability to handle this crisis. Yep. And I think that that's fair. I also think the market is saying, you know, we've kind of been on a house. Of, we've been built on sand for a while. We've been a house built mm. on sand for a while. And you're right, Sarah, that dropping the interest rate and keeping the interest rate low has been a tool that we've overused over the past yep. few years. You cut interest rates to make more credit available, to encourage people to buy stock when things are bad. That's an expansionary use of monetary policy, right? And then when things are good again, you employ some contraction because you need Mm -hmm. to stabilize. And we haven't done any of that stabilization really since we came out of the last recession. And so it's just been a drunken fraternity party, basically, since we came out of that last recession and started to recover in terms of the stock market. That is maybe overstating it a little bit. And I don't want to be unfair or dismissive of the stock market because there are real people 
who are not anything approaching wealthy with their retirements tied up in the stock market, Mm -hmm. with the money that they live on every month tied up in the stock market, there are serious implications for the stock market beyond people who, who just make gazillions of dollars having fun picking businesses that they think are going to be successful. So I don't mean to be dismissive of it at all, but I do think we need to be measured in how we take that news in because we were due for some correction in the stock market at some point. What I think is really unhelpful, and I struggle with how much to even think about Donald Trump in connection with this, because we really do need to hear from people who have expertise and who are disciplined in how they communicate with the public. And he is neither of those things. At the same time, What he says has an effect in our country, whether I like Mm -hmm. it or not. And he is saying so many things that I think will rightly cause further economic deterioration when in the face of everything that's going on, he's decided his best course of action is to say, well, really what's happening here is a vast conspiracy against me. (sighs) It's, It's just not helpful. I understand that it's easy to overreact to a crisis. And I probably occasionally have that risk of overreacting to a crisis. At the same time, with something like a virus, the risk of underreacting seems greater to me. Mm -hmm. The risk of thinking this is just a cold or the flu. Go ahead and live your lives. Do your thing. I don't see why we wouldn't take some precaution, have some discipline. Think about everything that we do right now that is not necessary (laughs) And where can we make our neighbors a little safer by not potentially carrying around this virus? To me, it is a it's a really easy equation. What really came home for me this weekend watching him behave the way he did is both that he only knows how to treat things as political problems and not public health problems. <laughs> and, you know, the economy is the center point of his reelection campaign. Make no mistake. And I think I don't know if it's hitting him the way it's hitting me, but I, you know, I think with COVID-19, I really try not to make decisions or react out of fear. Um, I try to be really careful about where is the risk. You know, human beings are not great at assessing risk. We're just not. It's not our skill set. And so I try to keep that in mind when I'm thinking through my own risks. And I kept thinking, well, you know, I know that the the impact of COVID-19 is really intense Um, for certain demographics, but it seems like um, the mortality rate might be overestimated and that, you know, it will it will go through, but most people will be okay. And I think I just underestimated sort of the economic impact. One, because I don't want to be the person that's like, what does this mean for the economy? Because I think that's a gross reaction. But the economy is is people's lives, you know, and I think that that's it's a really hard line to walk between saying, you know, not not being the person who only pays attention to what does this mean for the markets and being the person that acknowledges things like if if people aren't traveling, if South by Southwest is getting canceled, um, people are going to lose a huge portion of their income and an economic recession in Europe or um, the slowdown of the Chinese economy and what it means for the supply chain. That all has real um, difficult impacts in the in the day-to-day lives of so many people in America and around the globe and taking that seriously instead of saying it's the flu don't overreact is really really key and 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 
walking that line between this is serious and we're dealing with it because it is serious and not provoking panic, being that sort of calm leadership, that that um, feeling like there's somebody at the head of the ship that is in control and that is trusting experts and that has a good um, perspective about um, the impact on everybody, not just themselves, would be really great right now. And I just don't feel like we have it. And so, you know, I think we're all going to have to exhibit that individually in our own lives, in our own um, sort of communities, because it's not going to trickle down. It's going to have to come from the bottom up. Yeah, let me clean up after myself a little bit and say when I say the calculation seems easy to me, it's not the calculation of what do we actually do from here. It's the calculation of how seriously do we take this. It's that we don't blow it off and say, Mm -hmm. well, it's just like the flu because the risk of that is so high if we're wrong. And so deciding to prepare seems easy to me. Deciding how to prepare is harder. I was grateful for that um, balance that you were just talking about that I think our governor is striking. I watched Mm -hmm. Governor Bashir in Kentucky talk about our first confirmed case over the weekend, and I thought he managed that tone really well. Um, I, I texted my husband and said, I'm so glad we just elected a nice, boring governor here who seems mm-hmm. competently working with his administration to figure out what to do. Because I do think it is it is really serious. Panic is not helpful. There are lots of things we can do individually. But more than that, it really is about the community approach. The other thing I wanted to mention before we check in with our listener in Seattle, Kirsten, is that my daughters are obsessed with talking about coronavirus. Mm. And um, you might have seen it already, but NPR has a really nice cartoon for kids about coronavirus that we'll link in the show notes. But I'm trying really hard to strike that same balance with them because I definitely am here. Jane has so many questions and my husband has had to travel a little bit for work and she has so many questions about him traveling with coronavirus going on. She is thinking about what happens if my school gets canceled. Um, It's really captured her imagination. And so I'm trying to do that same thing that we're asking of our leaders in my house. Here are the facts that we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's your individual responsibility. Here are all the things you are not responsible for because you cannot control all of this individually. I mean, and I will say that there are places um, to find hope. And we're going to hear from Kirsten on this as well. Over the weekend as we were traveling, every time I went into an airport bathroom, um, it was like everybody was scrubbing to go into surgery um, the sudsing, the 20 plus seconds scrubbing under their fingernails. And we were all just kind of looking at each other and smiling and being in it together and saying like, look at us, we're doing our part. We're all learning to wash our hands properly for many of us the first time in our adult lives. That's good. That's a good impact. And I think um, just, you know, we talk a lot about individualism and consumerism in the United States and the negative impact of that on our culture. And how sometimes human beings need a common goal to fight, a common enemy. And um, for better or for worse, I think we're facing one of those moments right now. And even if we don't have the type of leadership we have at the very top, I think what you're seeing in communities across the country and um, in families and in churches 
who, you know, you posted on Instagram this weekend about reexamining the handshake. And we're having that moment where we're saying, hey, we're in this together. Um, what can we do differently? What can we learn in this moment? That's really difficult for many people across the country. Um, and I think that's that's not all bad. I think that could have a long um, life cycle, a lot of impact in our country. It ties together many of the things that we discussed last week as we were talking about health care. Because mm. some of our risk in the United States, a huge part of our risk in the United States of this becoming a much more serious problem than it already is, comes from the fact that our healthcare system is not accessible to everyone and mm-hmm. that it is so expensive and that we are in many ways wildly underprepared to take care of the people who are already most vulnerable in our society. Um, Curbed had a great article that we'll put in the show notes about how when you think about coronavirus, me and you sitting here talking, Sarah, our risk is really not getting sick ourselves or even our kids or family members getting sick. It is that in our communities, people who live alone will get sick, that people who already don't have enough money to pay their bills every month will get sick. And the best thing we can do as we prepare is not stock up on toilet paper and months and months and months of supplies that we're hoarding for ourselves. But think about what are the resources here in my neighborhood? How can I contribute to those resources? Who just needs to be checked on? Who is trying Mm -hmm. to do life without enough support around them? And how can I check on them? And that is the ethic that our listener Kirsten in Seattle is bringing to this conversation. And we wanted to share a little bit from her in her own words about living in Seattle and how she is processing the news. Well, one thing I'd love for people to know is that the numbers that they're seeing are low. And I believe that's because there really aren't enough tests available at this point. And so only the most sick people are being tested. Uh, Since I wrote you last week, I have seen some changes in the way this is being communicated nationally, which are encouraging to me. It seems as if better information is getting out. But as far as the actual testing, um, I'm encouraged because the University of Washington at the end of 2019 saw what was going on in China and their virologists developed tests, which are now becoming available. So I think on the 7th, they did 400 tests. And that's really the most testing that was done, and 7% of those were positive. My encouragement would be it's okay to feel whatever you feel, that there are going to be stages of how you experience this, perhaps denial, shock, panic, anxiety, fear, anger, uh, grief, uh, and I think the most impactful thing for me practically was to let myself feel those things and find pockets of time in my day where I could get quiet, get some perspective, ask myself, what do I think about this? What am I feeling? And what can I do? And so really trying to make decisions for things that I can control, 
not out of a place of panic and fear, but really getting to a sober place of what are the recommendations? What can I do? And so I guess one encouragement would be to find some sources that you trust and listen primarily you know, to those voices. What I want to encourage your listeners and my family is that let's think about how we can love each other through this. We're all connected. And so we actually can control. We, I mean, as a, as a country, we as cities, um, they call it flattening the curve. So the, the better we do with um, restricting our own movements, they also call it social distancing, we can actually reduce, you know, the deleterious effect of this. We, we actually do have control of, you know, in some way of how bad this becomes. The most impactful article that I read was in Scientific American, and the author who is a professor, I think in University of North Carolina, was talking about the social dynamics of people not wanting to be perceived as preppers, Um, you know, this idea of doomsday prepping. And she said, preparing for the almost inevitable global spread of this virus, now dubbed COVID-19, is one of the most pro-social, altruistic things you can do in response to potential disruptions of this kind. We should prepare not because we may feel personally at risk, but so that we can help lessen the risk for everyone. We should prepare not because we are facing a doomsday scenario out of control, but because we can alter every aspect of the risk we face as a society. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. 
comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. I think the reason it was important for us to put Kirsten on the show is the value in hearing from people in parts of the country that are a little further along on this journey that are in places many of us might find us find ourselves in. Um, and I think she brought so much wisdom and reflection and discernment, just the word she was using, um, to that. And we hope that that um, gave everybody a little moment to reflect and exhale and focus on what their work is to do. And as we think about the work that there is to be done, in addition to sending good thoughts to everyone in positions of leadership, I just want to hold some space around healthcare professionals who mm-hmm. are at such risk themselves as they interact with the public, who have to deal with all kinds of resource constraints. I was really moved by this piece in the Washington Post about a hospital in Boston, and a nurse was saying that space is the only thing there's less of than money. And when you have people who need to be treated in a hospital setting with something that's highly contagious, space is a real issue. And just listening to some of the voices in the healthcare profession and thinking about how difficult it must be to navigate, does this patient need a test or not? Do we have a test available for this patient? Who is here just freaking out and draining our resources and who really needs us? Those are hard decisions. Um, And how does all this impact me as I'm here with my body doing this work? I just am thinking a lot about people who do that work every day. Sarah, what's on your mind outside of politics? Well, I started the Hillary documentary which um, was lovely on the most basic level. Sometimes I just miss her so much. (laughs) I just miss her being in the news every day and just being around um, because I find her so brilliant and so encouraging and such a great presence in American life. Um, But the, the documentary is so well done and so interesting. 
And even as someone who has worked for her and thought I knew everything there was to know about her, I'm learning things, which has been really fun. So I'm enjoying taking in that documentary. I've only started episode one. I think we're going to do a hot mic of the final episode together, which will be fun. But I've had so many people text me about it who are watching it. I mean, I had a neighbor up the street that was like, well, I would have voted for her if I'd seen this. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's torture. Please don't say that kind of thing to me. Um, But if you I will also say um, Beyond Hillary, which is an intensely political, obviously, documentary. I also went and saw Emma this weekend. And that if you just need pure escapism, was a complete and total delight. And I highly recommend it. I had kind of an opposite weekend. I just sat outside. It was warmer here. We were able Mm -hmm. to get the girls out on the trampoline and on the swing set. And spending a whole day in the sun is exactly what I needed. I forget how much of a difference it makes when the weather is nice enough to be outside for long periods versus when it's kind of a thing to be outside (laughs) and Mm -hmm. to just be able to walk out without any gear and soak up the sun and feel some fresh air on my face was very restorative for me. And it was so good for the girls too. They, you know, they were tired in a different way than you get tired when you're indoors all day. And it just, it was a good reminder that spring is coming and I am so thrilled and I need it. Yeah, we had a nice spring day here yesterday. We traveled for some of it coming home from Texas, but we got home and like pulled out our outdoor furniture and everyone, it was like everyone in my neighborhood was outside doing, walking, playing. Everybody really, really needed the sunshine. Well, and that community aspect is huge too. And I know we just got finished talking about coronavirus and one of the legitimate criticisms of my post Uh, celebrating the end of handshakes as a side effect of this horrible thing. Uh, That's a totally valid criticism, is that handshakes and that kind of greeting are where a lot of people get all the physical touch that they have. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a problem. I mean, we've talked before here and a lot on The Nuanced Life about loneliness as a public health epidemic as well. And I hope that as we're navigating this whole situation we can really think about that side of it, too, that we shouldn't have people in our country who go for days at a time without seeing another human being and without feeling the affection of that other human being. Um, we really do have to find ways to get creative, and that can't all be online. There is something really important, especially about a hug. I think hugs are probably the most important thing we do for each other as humans. Um, so, so we've got to figure some of that out. It is really nice that the warmer weather makes it easier to interact with other people and and live more in community than when it's so cold. Well, we hope you are enjoying the spring weather where you're located at. Or if you don't have any spring weather yet, we will send you all the love and light and get it there to you as soon as possible. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We will be back in your ears tomorrow on The Nuanced Life. So check out our other podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major 
life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, Martha Branitsky, Tiffany Hasler, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Amy Whited, and Allie Edwards. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.